This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome back to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, and also our sports social media editor, Kai Delaney, alongside me to talk through all of the latest Liverpool topics and bring you some really interesting themes to get into this afternoon. We're going to begin with a look at the situation at Newcastle United after their takeover went through last week. I know that Guy Clark and I think Dan Kay and Theo Squire spoke a little bit about that on Friday's edition of the podcast. But since then, there have been a few more developments and things to get into too. But I suppose first and foremost, I should give you both the opportunity to give us a, a bit of a general thoughts on the, the Newcastle takeover, Gorsty. I think there's probably two sides of it that we have to touch upon. One is the sort of sports washing element. The other is the fact that they are very, very rich and could soon become a contender at the top of the Premier League table. What have you sort of made of, of the takeover? How big a worry should it be for, for Liverpool moving forwards? Uh, to, to answer the second part of your question, Matt, I don't think Liverpool fans need to be concerned at all. Certainly not for the next three or four years. Newcastle aren't going to... I mean, let's say they're in the relegations all the moment, aren't they? They're not going to be... Um, they're not going to become Manchester City in, in the blink of an eye. It's going to take several really good transfer windows for that to happen, for them to to build up, you know, the kind of level that they want to be at. Um, and I'm not sure it's it's possible anymore, to be honest, with financial fair play and so on. I don't think that was just quite as prevalent as when City was spending all their money towards the turn of the decade and a little bit further into it. And it certainly wasn't as prevalent when Chelsea came in with Roman Abramovich. So I think it's a little bit more difficult for teams to be able to do that you know, with a magic wand and a, in the space of one transfer window. So um, th- there's absolutely no concerns or there shouldn't be any concerns to Liverpool fans anytime soon. You know, you, as I say, City came in, City's owners 2008. I think they won the FA Cup in 2011 and then won the Premier League in 2012. So it took them a good few years to become serious contenders. And, and this is a squad that was far better than Newcastle's is at the moment. If Newcastle have a, have a poor January transfer window, they could be right up against it for the season, to be honest. Um, the squad isn't great as it is, and you know, having a an ownership group that's worth 230 billion or whatever the stupid figure is, that's not going to change anything overnight. It will take time. Um, so, Liverpool fans shouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't blink twice at Newcastle. You know, no matter how much money they've got, certainly not for a good few years. Um, to answer the first part of your question, it's um, I, I'm I'm staggered that it's been allowed to go through. Uh, I know Amanda Stavely has, has said that the public investment fund is not, you know, directly linked to to Saudi Arabia's monarchy and whatever else. But um, I don't think anyone seriously believes that. And the Premier League are claiming that they've had legally banned assurances and whatever else. But Let's face it, money talks, and that money talks in this country, whether it's football, sports, any kind of sector, um, this country seems uh, very willing to um, acquiesce to the highest bidders, and it looks like that's what what's happened here. So, um, should it be happening? Probably not, but um, we are where we are. 
Yeah, plenty of sort of questions around it, Kai, in, in that regard. I mean, I said to, to you this morning, I think it might take sort of eight to 10 years for Liverpool fans to have to be concerned. Do you think that's a sort of realistic timescale? As Gorsty said, they're right at the bottom now. It's not really a quick fix and it's it's not really the same as, as a Chelsea or a Manchester City in the past. No, it's not. And I think, uh, you know, one thing that's not been mentioned at all is actually, I think you brought it up this morning, we, we were having a chat that there's still the possibility that if they don't get their January transfer window, right, they could end up getting relegated. And with all these new owners, and you know, what would they make of that? Um, losing the Premier League revenue and, and everything that comes with, with being in that competition. But um, yeah, I think that they're certainly, they've got a long way to go. Everyone obviously looks at City as the, the kind of will be a template there. Um, going from having no money to all the riches in the world but it's, it was a long process for City to get where they are now you know that they had that initial phase of uh, signing players like Craig Bellamy you know Benjani, Rocky Sanford who were some of the brightest prospects in the league but they were really just taking the best players for those around them and making themselves the best for the rest getting into the kind of can we get into the top four uh, conversation. So they've got a, a long road ahead of them, and, and certainly before they're worrying the likes of Man United, Man City, Liverpool, and so on, um, they, they've got to get themselves clear of the rest of the pack. Yeah, certainly a long journey ahead for, for Newcastle and their new owners and, and their fans. But it's not just the, the transfers and, and the money that we're going to be speaking about, it's obviously the, the links to, to Steven Gerrard as well, Gorsty. He's reportedly one of the favourites, if not the favourite, to, to move there from Rangers. It, it does make a, a little bit of sense to me. Is is that one that you can see happening, do you think, in, in the future? Uh, well, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to, to anyone around Gerard's camp about this, but um, it, it's something that, that seems to just have a little bit of um, realism attached to it, if that makes sense. It it's, seems to be, obviously, Newcastle looking to build and Gerard, I'm sure, has got designs on managing in England at some point. Um, Amanda Staley said on Friday, didn't she? She was asked about Steve Bruce's future and rather than just say, oh, well, he's the manager and whatever else, and, and that will be the case. It was almost a, we haven't had a chance to, to give that a, a thought. So you'd imagine that that doesn't over too well for Bruce's future. You imagine that once you sit down and, and you think about what they want to do, that a new, uh, more high-profile manager might be on the agenda. And... Um, Despite his kind of, you know, he's still in the fledgling years of his career. Gerard is is a high profile manager, isn't he? You know, he's what he's achieved at Rangers in such a short space of time is, is nothing short of remarkable, really. And there will be plenty who, who are keeping tabs on him. And, and the case would be for him is whether, you know, whether he wants to move to England now or he wants to continue with the project that he's got at Rangers. I imagine his standard in the game right now is, as a football manager. Um, you'll be able to have his pick of, of several options. Um, so if, if some something like Newcastle did come up, I, I guess the ball would be in his court to, to give it a, a thought. Uh, I think Kenny Ragbish said that across the weekend that Gerard wouldn't be thinking anywhere close to managing Newcastle at the moment. And that's probably true, isn't he? He'll say that he's focused on Rangers and so on. But if Newcastle did kind of make a you know an advance... And I'd imagine it'd be something he'd certainly think long and hard about. Yeah, it's a big club, a big fan base, a step up from Scottish football. And it also wouldn't be competing directly with Liverpool immediately. It does seem to tick quite a lot of boxes, Kai. 
yeah, you, you can certainly make a case and, and see it happening. And, and you can see why there might be tempted if, if um, the offer is on the table. As you say, it's certainly a step up going from, from uh, the SPL and to one of, you know, that they have been the most successful team in England, but they're certainly one of the biggest in terms of profile and, and the fan base and very similar to Liverpool, I think, in the way that, that the city is really, you know, lives and breathes. Uh, gives a breeze football and it's famous for that kind of goldfish bowl element which has sometimes been used in a, a negative context and people have managers and players have struggled with that and there's kind of nothing other than football in the city but I think you know Gerard having been Liverpool all his life and similar arrangements now um, I think it, it'd, it'd be completely used to that at Newcastle and clearly you know he, he thrives in that kind of environment and if, if he's given the opportunity to take Newcastle to that next step and you know the old phrase is a war chest isn't it if he's been getting 150 200 million to to spend and really implement his own start and, and build his own team there to, to you know it, it could be for the next several years at Newcastle if he could make a bit of a legacy there and, and take them on the, that next step towards being uh, you know where, where they want to be then that would certainly put him in good stead when um, the opportunity comes up to Liverpool because some of the accusations that were maybe put the Lampard about why he failed at Chelsea was it was too early. He didn't have any Premier League experience, obviously going straight in from Derby. So maybe for Gerard to get that that Premier League job and have a, a few years uh, you know, with his, with his own team at a bit of a higher level could be just what he needs. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of been difficult, hasn't it, Gorsty, in terms of thinking Rangers to Liverpool would be a big step, but who would be that club in the middle? I, I can't necessarily see him going abroad and doing that. You think of a team maybe like an Everton, he's not going to go there. Aston Villa are quite settled with their own manager. They don't need somebody. Leeds United are, are the same. Newcastle, though, could be a, a bit of an opportunity where you think that it's, it's the right level of club. There's lots of similarities between Rangers and Liverpool. It, it just just does just make logical sense in it in certain ways yeah very much so um as i say though i mean it, it dep depends how much thought gerard is currently given to his long-term career prospects he obviously will have designs on eventually managing in the premier league and, and i'm pretty sure that will be with liverpool one day but um will he be thinking about it now does he still have things he wants to achieve at ibrox and um you could argue maybe not. You know, he's, he's managed to kind of dislodge Celtic and um, end the kind of 10 in a row. And, you know, he's, he's going to be a legend forever for what he's already done up there. But um, I suppose only him and, and his kind of inner circle will know what his, um, what his, his ambitions are at the moment. What do you think is the, the kind of ceiling for Newcastle, Kai? If, you know, Gerard was was to go there, is that something that he could take them to the next level? Do you think how quickly would that have to happen for that to be the perfect next step? It's it's, a, it's an interesting time to take the role, isn't it? Because, you, you know, as, as Gorsi was saying, they, they're going to be looking for a name. Would, would they be taking the Rangers manager if it wasn't Stephen Gerrard? Probably not. You know, he has been successful there and he, he did end the 10-year domination of Celtic but he, he's as much a, a brand worldwide and, and a, a global name as he is a, a successful manager in his short time uh, in the game so far as a manager but it's uh, it's uh, I, I like the Man City situation earlier and you'd have to say it, it would be maybe the Mark Hughes role it is the first time you've got they're giving you all the money to spend and it, it's not going to be one manager in Newcastle that takes them from where they are now to 
Premier League champions. If, if okay, they're going to have a few sort of stepping stones, and it may be that they could both use each other as a, a stepping stone. Gerard could use Newcastle as, as that that pathway towards you know, eventually Liverpool and bigger and better things for his own career. And, and Newcastle could perhaps use Gerard as a stepping stone to get into perhaps. European football, possibly Champions League, if you know, absolutely dreamland. And then if, if Gerard leaves when the time comes, they'll be in a better position to go out and get a bigger name, you know, maybe a Antonio Conte or someone that's been around and has European pedigree. Lots of players already inevitably being linked with a, a move to Newcastle. Gorsi, Felipe Coutinho is one of those. Lots of reports, as I say, inevitably around players like that. But I just can't see that being the case straight away. I think Coutinho is is obviously a name that is easy to link with them, but it just doesn't feel like that's the kind of player they'd be going for straight away. Yeah, I'm not even sure that Newcastle's owners will have had a chance to have sat down with um, any kind of um, decision-maker at, at a transfer level, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't believe that they've got, you know, Cast iron shortlist on who they want at this stage. It's not, they only come in on Friday, didn't they? Thursday, Friday. Um, so it, I mean, it's going to be easy to band around a load of names and and random figures attached to them. For the yeah. I'm not worried that they suddenly got, but um, I, I don't believe that they'll be that far along. And, and as I said, I don't think Liverpool fans should be too too concerned about it. It's going to be interesting to watch. But obviously, the human rights aspect of the ownership that we've, we've touched on and, and other people uh, have spoken about and, and they are wholly correct, to, to be honest. Um, but um, I suppose from a from a football perspective, it is, it is going to be quite intriguing to see what level of play and what level of um, finance is going to go into it. Are there any Liverpool players you think, Kai, that maybe could be having a look at, at them? Someone like a, a Divock Origi, maybe Liverpool have struggled to, to sort of find a, a buyer for him. Is this another option for, for them, possibly, in that regard? I mean, it, it would be that, that type of player, wouldn't it? The, the fringe players, the Divock Origi's, Minamino, we saw him on loan at Southampton last year. Possibly even someone like an Oxlade-Chamberlain, if, if they're serious and they want to you know, pushed their way up the table. Oxford Chamberlain's got incredible quality. It's just been his injuries and he struggled to really get forces away into the Liverpool team on a consistent basis. So you know, there's certainly players there on, on the fringes. No doubt Shakiri would have been that type of player if, if he was still around. But um, yeah, you know, as, as Paul was just saying, that there's a there's a lot long way to go for their recruitment process. And um, I'm sure that there'll be a, a lot of names linked over the next few weeks and months leading up to January. But I've got no doubt that they'll, they'll go out and make that statement signing that no doubt they'll get a few in, but they'll certainly be be one. Uh, I'm sure they're looking to, to bring in and sell the shirts. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Plenty to think about in terms of Newcastle United's recruitment moving forward. And that ties in quite nicely with Gini Wijnaldum, of course, a former Newcastle United player. There were some comments from him, Gorsty, today where he wasn't maybe particularly happy with how it's gone so far at PSG. What did you make of, of those comments? Is it too early to be making a, a judgment on how it's gone? Or is this maybe an early sign that things aren't quite going quite as smoothly as he would have wanted? Yeah, I think so. He's was he played eleven times, but he's only played five hundred minutes. I think um, was brought on for the last fifteen minutes or so against Man City in the big Champions League game so far. You know, 
PSG's biggest game of the season to date. Uh, and he was a substitute again when they were beaten last week by Ren. But um, I suppose this is the risk you run when you move to a club with the squad that Paris Saint-Germain have got. You know, obviously, it's it's um, the most difficult place to get in their team is, is obviously up front with the embarrassment of riches they've got with Neymar and Messi and Mbappe and, you know, Acardi and Di Maria. But in midfield, they're well-stocked as well. Um, so maybe Wijnaldum is finding it a little bit tough to show Pochettino that he's capable of getting in there ahead of, you know, Marco Verratti or a, a Drissa Gay or even an Ander Herrera. But it's part and parcel of, of being at a top club, isn't it? He, he knows that from his five years at Liverpool and um, he will have been fully aware of that movement to PSG. So um, if there are some frustrations, then, you know, it's... That's that's what happens. Uh, I'm sure he'll knuckle down and try and get into the team. But um, I don't think I don't think Liverpool need to be casting too much of a of a glance to Paris at that and thinking what could have been because you know we've been over this plenty of times. Now, me wanted to stay, Klopp wanted him to stay, and, and he hasn't. So um, you know he's moved on, and I'm sure he'll uh, get his head down and try and get in the PSG team. I'm sure he'll settle down there eventually. But Kai, I suppose with Curtis Jones having picked up a, a little bit of an injury this international break with the England under-21s, the, the question isn't going to go away about have Liverpool adequately replaced Wijnaldum. And of course, there's a couple of other players missing. We don't expect Fabinho will be there at there, the weekend. Uh, weekend. There is a, there is a, a question bit of a mark question there as well. Yeah, I mean, of course, they, they never did directly replace him in terms of a, a one-in, one-out actual transfer signing of a midfielder in the window. But I think we, we all saw possibly what, what the plan was at the start of the season with the emergence of Harvey Elliott and just how big of a role Klopp was planning for him to have in this side. Um, you know, started uh, against Chelsea and uh, I think the Burnley game. So it was a massive show of faith for him and, and he had been one of Liverpool's brightest players the first few games. So you know, a, a real shame that injury came when it did. And I think if, if Elliot hadn't have been around, then possibly a, a direct replacement on Adam would have come in. But um, yeah, you know, with with Genie's situation at, at uh, PSG, I, I still think you can argue what what else could he have done. You know, as as Paul uh, just said, then Klopp wanted him to stay, and whether the he said on numerous occasions when Adam that he he'll say when the time is right what actually did happen behind the scenes with his contract and. We still don't know what actually did happen there, but it appeared to come down to a, a straight choice between PSG or Barcelona. And you see the mess Barcelona are in at the moment. You, you still argue he'd probably be probably better off at PSG having a kind of rotation role and, and you know having a, a say in a, a team that's probably going to win the league and uh, no doubt a Champions League run as well. So yeah, Liverpool haven't haven't replaced him possibly as, as fans would have liked, but. The, the emergence of Elliot and, and Curtis Jones in recent weeks as well, when when they do have uh, everybody fit and firing, they've got more than enough options for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably one of the, the few question marks that, that I would have this season, Gorsty, is maybe a little bit over the form of, of Jordan Henderson. Do you think it's a bit premature to say that maybe he's missing Genie Wijnaldum alongside him? Or do you think that's something that over the next few weeks will, will just not be not be an issue at all? Yeah, I don't, don't think it's, it's too much of an issue. Um, fail to see really what results Liverpool would have got had they had Wijnaldum in there instead of a Curtis Jones or, or a Harvey Elliott. Um, they might have beaten 
10 man Chelsea, possibly. Um, it's difficult to say, isn't it? But Liverpool can't really be looking too far along their crop players who've left because they're in a really healthy state. Um, so, you know, of course, we talk about Van Alden because still plenty of interest in it. And, and we see that every day with the the stuff that we put out, don't we? You know, people always read it and they're still interested in it. But um, I think it's probably time to. Um, to move on from from Gino and all the other you know, brilliant five years at Liverpool and will always be remembered for certain moments and what he won is importance to the team. But um, there is life after Gino and Alden at Liverpool. Yes, there certainly is. And I suppose just before we move on from the midfield area entirely, Kai, we'll speak about it more, I'm sure, on, on Friday's edition of the podcast. But I did mention before that Fabinho is likely to be missing. Alisson the same because of their international commitments with Brazil. But in terms of that midfield area, given that absence and a couple of different injuries, what's the solution there, do you think? Is there a player to, to come in, Naby Keita perhaps, or, or might there be change of formation that's the answer what's the sort of solution to that do you think yeah I mean you've always got the option of going to the the four two three one which we we saw at times last season and maybe they did that with they switched to it in games with kind of half an hour to go if they were chasing a game obviously that would rely on uh needing Jota to be fit because there's, there's been some news today that he, he may not be available for, for the weekend but of course you'll know more on that than I will but um you know, if, if the front four are all ready and available, then you could do the two midfielders there and that would probably solve that problem. Um, if not, then you've got the, the option of Jordan Henderson as the, the sixth, the holding midfielder, as we've seen him do really well over, over the last few years when he's had to fill in there. So, uh, yeah, even despite the injuries that Liverpool have got and are carrying at the moment, they've still got enough, uh, enough options to get through. Yeah, still a few days to sort of work out the extent of certain injuries and who will and, and won't be available. As I say, we'll talk about that on Friday's edition of the podcast when we do preview that Watford game. But for today, we'll finish with a, a little bit of something different, obviously. Not been loads going on during the international break, Gorsty, but you've been out and about down at Stamford Bridge in London for the Stats Bomb Conference and plenty of, of interesting things to, to come out of that. Yeah, it was a really interesting day. Actually, I think it was maybe the third or fourth Staff Bomb conference at uh, Stamford Bridge. Obviously, Staff Bomb signed a deal with Liverpool in March, didn't he? For Liverpool to use their Staff Bomb 360 services and basically just kind of drill down even further into the data analysis, which we know Liverpool are, are superb. Probably one of the, the best in Europe, as it goes. Michael Edwards is obviously um, a big proponent of that very early on in his time at Liverpool and the research departments under him have, have done plenty of, of great work that goes under the radar. And that's kind of the way Liverpool have always wanted it. Um, so there's a strict six-man research team. Um, quite a few of them were at the event at Stamford Bridge. And the director of research, Ian Graham, was um, was giving a talk on kind of how, um, you know, the, the best practice of, um, of looking into to, to how how they recruit. Um, so it was a, it was a very interesting, you know, very interesting day. People like Victor Orta were there, who obviously director of football at Leeds. Um, Vusa, Vusa Debu there, whose name I've probably butchered there, but she's the head of, um, head of science, sports science at Ajax. Um, she gave a talk. Um, it, was just a, it was just a day full of um, really interesting kind of, deep dives into the um, the analysis world of football. And it's something that's become 
a lot more prevalent over the last what, four or five years. It was maybe once ridiculed at times, but we've seen it creep into the mainstream lexicon in recent years, haven't we, with expected goals and expected assists. And um, yeah, and if, if, if that's your that's your bag, it would have been a very interesting day at Stamford Bridge. But it's great just to hear Ian Graham speak on, on how Liverpool work. Um, it, it was more, more, more of a general theme, really, rather than this is how Liverpool specifically work, but there was a few little details of um, Liverpool's recruitment department and, and how they operate. And yeah, as I say, it was a, it was a very uh, interesting day. Yeah, lots of names that people will be familiar with: Michael Edwards, Julian Ward, Ian Graham, as you mentioned, Tim Waskett as well. All people that that work behind the, the scenes at, at Liverpool, and we don't get to, to hear from them that often. Obviously, the the work has to be secretive to an extent. But what was the kind of purpose of the event? Why is it that these people were were coming along and, and speaking to this conference? It, it's not something that we see them do too frequently. But what was the the kind of reasoning behind that? Do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a um, it, it's it's a professional kind of conference for, for you know the people who were there weren't weren't journalists. So I managed to, to get in there and um, was sitting there alongside um, Josh Williams and, and David Alexander Hughes, who obviously do the Analyze Lamfield podcast. If you listen to that, it's it's very much along the same themes as what what they speak about on there. Very kind of tactical and detailed and um, very maths centric. Um, and yeah, Michael Edwards was there. Uh, he, was, he was sitting in front of me. Um, he was in row one. I was in row two, uh, alongside um, Julian Ward as, as assistant, and David Woodfine, who looks after the loans, and Tim Waskett, as, as you say. So I think it's just generally Liverpool kind of, um, you know, it's they have to be seen to be staying on top of the latest trends and developments in, in this area. And, and the Ian Graham was widely thought of as one of the biggest, uh, one of the best in, in his field. So it was. Um, Great to, to hear him talk. Um, it was plenty of detail on, on, on what they look for for um, you know what they look for in a striker or, or a midfielder and, and how they kind of whittle it down to a short list to then pass on to the sporting director and the scouts to look at in a bit more detail. Um, and it was, yeah, as I say, it was just a, a really interesting forum. And, and you don't really, as you say, you never hear from these guys, and, and for obvious reasons, they're very secretive because they're trying to keep um, one step ahead of, of the rivals, aren't they? But um, yeah, it was, um, it was a really good day at Stamford Bridge on, on Friday. I think one of the, the more interesting bits of, of that piece that you wrote, Gorsty, and I'll, I suppose I'll throw over to, to Kai on this one, bring him back into the conversation, was that kind of thing that, that Ian Graham said of you know how much it's changed in, in such a short time. It's only 10 years ago that we were talking about this sort of thing in a, a very different way to, to what we do now, Kai. And as Gorsty said, it's, it's very much just part of the way that we report things, you see it on match of the day, all of these analytical elements of football, it's very quickly become very normal. Yeah, it's, it's I think, completely accepted now amongst fans and, and journalists and, you know, everybody alike that uh, it's, it's just part of the game. And it's, it's you, as you say, you see it on TV, it's, it's on Sky, match of the day, it's, it's used in transfers, it's, it's every, everywhere you go now, it's, it's just, it's just there. And, um, it wasn't too long ago that it was maybe mocked by some. I, I know the Analyze and Anfield guys maybe still come across that from time to time. People say XG and what well, a load of rubbish, and it doesn't doesn't mean anything. But uh, you know, I think if anybody's proven that it, it does, then it's, it's Liverpool and Michael Edwards, and it's, it's only through their use of 
these kind of metrics and the data that they've been able to identify people like Mohamed Salah and Diego Jota, two examples that they had a more more or less a clear run out. There was there should have been looking at the numbers they produced since they've signed. There should have been a, a real clamour, and every team should have been trying to sign them, but they they just weren't, and they were able to secure them both for you know 30, 40 million, like very very good fees in this market. It's it's through using this data and these these kind of uh, analytics that they've been able to do that and it's not just transfers either is it Gorsi? obviously that's a, a big part of it but there's there's other elements that this sort of analytical approach comes into it as well was was that a big part of, of the conference as well or, or was it more down the, the sort of transfer side of things uh, no to be honest i mean um being graham explained how it's used in the medical departments and, and wherever else but but he did say that Recruitment is, is where the, you get your biggest bang for your buck, essentially. And um, it was fascinating just to hear how Liverpool kind of uh, look at traits that are perhaps undervalued by other clubs. Um, you know, if a striker scores 30 goals a season and, he, and he's given you know, 15 assists, then he's obviously going to be very highly valued. And, and that is just obvious. But Liverpool looking at things that perhaps other teams aren't looking at. And I think Diogo Jota might be, a good example of that, to be honest, you know, someone who um, was a bit of a left field purchase almost, wasn't it? I don't think too many people would have expected him to fit the bill at Liverpool, but they're looking at, you know, pressing stats, the distance covered stats, the, the amount of runs per game and, and just the certain elements that aren't always, you know, that, that don't always make players massively valuable um, to, the, to the general transfer market. So I think that that was a, that was a key point. Um, also, looking at you know, kind of putting like a, a, a slide show of um, you know, searching for a midfielder, for example, and it was we're looking at two metrics: pressure regains and um, expected assists. And there was a certain amount of players who were great at one thing, not so good at another. And then you added in another metric, and they were looking at certain players who, were, as I say, good at this, not great at that, really good at the other thing, but. Essentially, what it came down to is um, clubs like Liverpool have to make big compromises at certain points because they don't have the transfer outlay that the likes of a City or a Chelsea or a Manchester United do. So they can't kind of just kind of wave over it all and just think um, they're going to be able to get the best players because they got the most money. It's almost about deciding what is valuable to what to your team, what is valuable to how you play and. That was very much the theme that, that I, I came away with once listening to, to Ian Graham's presentation. So, uh, I'd say it was quite a fascinating day and um, it was even more interesting just seeing Liverpool's research team and, and sporting director there, you know, on um, not kind of giving their own wisdom or anything like that, just listening and, and learning and looking to stay one step ahead. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting stuff. I'm sure it was a, a brilliant day for him, for you. And if you've obviously not read the, the first piece that Gorsty wrote from that conference, that was out at lunchtime on Monday. I'd recommend reading that one. I think by the time people are listening to this podcast as a podcast, it will be out uh, the second piece from that conference as well. So really interesting stuff. Make sure you don't miss either of those. But for now, we'll be back on Friday with the next Blood Red podcast to talk ahead of Liverpool against Watford. For now, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.